Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And I'm just going to read verse 34, where the Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, the title of the message this morning is, An Exceptional Nation in Decline. An Exceptional Nation in Decline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto we do well to take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place. And we know that we live in a world full of sin and wickedness, yet we have the light of God's word that gives us understanding into the times in which we're living. Father, as we pray, as we look into the word of God today and consider our nation I pray that you give us understanding, help us to be to accept reality as it is. Um, but Father, help us not to forsake the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that, Father, we have a message for the world around us in which we live. Though our country may be a sinking ship, yet there's those that are perishing that we are here to rescue. So just, just pray that you help us. Give us understanding and uh, wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, why is our nation blessed with the most liberty of all nations of the world? By the way, it still is. I mean, we're rapidly losing those, but it still is. Why in the USA do we have freedom to practice any religion we choose? Um, why have we been the most prosperous nation on earth? Uh, in the USA Today, and I'm not sure when exactly this was, but it says this, quote, North America, home to less than 5% of the global population, accounts for about one-fourth of the global economic output, unquote. Uh, the wealthiest middle class for years was in the United States until 2009-2010. you remember who was president then? Yeah, we had a recession as soon as he got elected. And it began to decline was passed by Canada in 2015. Uh, the USA gives monetary gifts to other nations. Foreign aid exceeds, well, we just sent $40 billion to Ukraine much of which would be wasted. But we send billions and billions of dollars to other countries, in South America particularly. I haven't watched, uh, uh, I don't know if any of you watched Trump's rally in Kansas here just the last week, and he was talking about how, you know, he shut down the border. The, he, he really curtailed, you know, and he, and so... You know, he called all the, well, he, he, he boarded some illegal immigrants, put them on planes, and took them back to one of the South American countries. I don't know if it's Honduras or, which, which I think it might have been a couple of them. Anyway, they closed their airports. They wouldn't let them in. 
And he said, do we not send them millions of dollars every year? And they said, yes, we do. He said, I got on the phone. And he said, I called the president of their country. We're going to shut off the aid to your country. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. He said, within a day, I had a phone call. We'll open our airports. You know, we have been considered the most powerful nation in the world. I'm not sure that's true anymore, but, you know, there's questions about that. Why do others want to come here? So, where and how did America become a land of the free and the home of a brave? Was it always this way? Well, many would say, yes, it's always been that way. But the truth is, it was not always that way. And the reason people say it was always that way is because they have rewritten history. And they've eliminated the part they don't want to accept. And I will, we'll get to that in a minute. You know, when the Puritans landed in Massachusetts, they set up church just like in England. Congregational state churches which required everyone that was a citizen of Boston or whatever town you lived in to pay a tax to pay the pastor or minister or whatever they called him, the elder or bishop, whatever they called him, to pay the church, we call them pastors, even if you didn't attend there. Even if you weren't Puritan or Episcopalian or whatever. Virginia, it was the Episcopal church. In North Carolina, it was the Anglican church. They all had state taxes, Paid to the church. In other words, they had state-enforced religion. And therefore, as a result of that, there was persecution of those who did not agree or did not believe like them, particularly the Baptists. So how did we come to have this, what we call, in the Bill of Rights, that Congress should make no law regarding any religion or the free exercise thereof? Well... It's because of the spiritual influence of righteous people. You know, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation. Righteousness exalteth. This, this idea of righteousness is living right. Living right. Uh, promoting right. And it was the Baptists in particular, not the Protestants. Protestantism is an offshoot of Catholicism. They are the ones that had the state churches. They are not the ones that influenced our country to have freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom to bear arms. All that, all that comes from the Baptists. Now, a little background concerning this. In the 30s, 1730s through the 1740s, there was what they called the Great Awakening here in the colonial America through the preaching of George Whitfield, primarily. He was most prominent, and he preached with a great effect. He was an Anglican uh, with state church background. However, he wasn't appreciated in the Anglican church. He was disenfranchised, but he maintained his, his uh, status there. But anyway, uh, but what happened after the Great Awakening that had a great impact in the future of America uh, uh, colonies was that many of Whitfield's converts in studying the Bible submitted to and joined Baptist churches. In fact, Whitfield himself is quoted as saying, quote, many of my chickens have become ducks, unquote. 
The most notable of these, uh, there were many, but the most notable concerning North Carolina in particular was a guy by the name of Shubal Stearns. After his conversion, as a result of Whitfield in 1746, he became a pastor of what's called the New Light, a New Light Church. In other words, this is a, still an Anglican or a state church, and he became a pastor there. They actually preached the gospel, though. But he was challenged by a Baptist pastor by the name of Wake Palmer concerning scriptural baptism. And after studying the scriptures, he was baptized and ordained by Baptist Wake Palmer. In 1751. In 1754, he left New England with a dozen others headed south, settled in Sandy Creek, right over here at Alma, or, um, um, Liberty, North Carolina, and started a church there, which grew to over 600 in two years. Men were saved, baptized, trained, sent out uh, from there, and went all over North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, all these places. And, and, of course, in other, the other colonies, Baptists flourished as well during this time period up through the Revolutionary War. It is said that, that, that the Baptists were the largest religious group in the American colonies at the time of the Revolution. Even today, 40% of Baptists in the world live in America. Forty percent. So Bible-believing Baptists had a great effect and still have an effect on this nation. We are a beacon of hope in a wicked and chaotic world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so these, these churches, these Baptist believers and churches, were a beacon of hope in this wicked and chaotic world. They preached liberty. And they had a message of grace and peace of God, of individual choice and individual responsibility. Soul liberty, they called it. Individual choice. So this is how it came about. Spiritual influence of righteous people, particularly the Baptists. Uh, we know that the, the founding principles of the United States of America were founded on righteous principles. Again, verse 34 says, Righteousness is all of the nation, but sin is a reproach of any people. Uh, now think about these principles. Quote, When in the course of human events becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, to assume the among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent, decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Individual liberty. Each person, you know, each, uh, uh, each person is born with a freedom from arbitrary or unjustified restraint. That's what that means, to have liberty. Private property. Individuals have right to obtain and control possessions as well as the fruits of their own labor. That's, that was kind of a new thing in the world. You know, all men are created equal. Think about that statement. You know, there is no class of rulers among the people. Everybody was born with the same unalienable rights. What does unalienable mean? In other words, they're not transferable to another or not capable of taking away or denied from one. Now, many consider, those statements all come from the Declaration of Independence, which many consider to be the philosophical foundation of American freedom. They have called it a beacon of hope for people everywhere. But what I asked you, what are the precedents for this monumental document that has had such an impact in our world? What are the origin of these great truths? Why have these not governed nations before in 6,000 years of human history? I mean, Pericles, uh, Pericles, the Greek politician, built a civilization on culture, and it failed. Caesar built one on power, and it failed. Alexander the Great conquered the world, but could not conquer himself and died at 33 years of age. And herein lies the key to success to the American foundation for government. It was a form of government under consideration of the laws of Almighty God. That's the basis. That's the foundation. Consider the statements of founding of fathers of our nation. John Adams, quote, The highest story of a revolution is this. It is connected in one dissoluble bond, the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Unquote. George Washington, quote, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without the Bible. Unquote. James Madison, quote, We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Unquote. Consider the monuments and the engravings on, in the, on buildings in, in, in Washington, D.C., you know, as you walk up to the Supreme Court, you can see rows, a, a row of statues of various lawgivers, each one turned to face the one in the middle, who is, guess who? Moses, the great lawgiver. So they all look to him. And as you enter the Supreme Court, the oak doors have the Ten Commandments graved on the lower portion of each door. The wall above where the justices sit has a display of the Ten Commandments. And Ben Franklin, who I believe was a deist, wasn't even a saved man, but he had great reverence for God. He said this, He who shall introduce in the public affairs the principle of a primitive Christianity will change the face of the world. Unquote. 
Now I asked you, who practices a primitive Christianity? Is it the Catholics? Is it the Protestants? Who is it? It's the Baptists. Their Christianity is from, from John the Baptist and Christ himself. It's primitive in practice. And if you consider the Ten Commandments, there are what is referred to as the two tables of the law or two sections of the law. Commandments 1 through 4 have to do with our relationship to God. Commandments 5 through 10, our relationship to our fellow man. And the only people that really understood this and maintained that man's relationship with God is a matter of conscience and cannot be legislated. In other words, you can't make, have a state church and force people to worship God. It will not work. What it results in is corruption, and that's what it always resulted in. And that's what the, new, that's what the colonies got in their state churches. They were full of corruption. It can't be legislated or governed by government. But the second table of the law, which starts out with honor your father and mother, and then says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not um, commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet. All those have to do with our relationships with one another, with man. And that, the second table of law, is the law upon which all just government is based. And that's what our government was based upon. And so, uh, and you again, think about Franklin's stake, statement about who would change the face of the world. Those who practiced a primitive Christianity. So the basis for this, and I, I say to you, again, do the basis for this declaration I believe comes from the First Baptist Church in America and the pastor John Clark. Uh, the, the, you know, he founded that first church and, and they are found in the, in the charter granted to the first free colony in the world, which was Rhode Island. And uh, this charter was written and granted to John Clark uh, in, the, in Rhode Island. And, and, uh, and, and so and it granted religious liberty to all concerns. And so the influence of the Baptists during and following the War for Independence are monumental. They had become, the, again, the largest religious body of the day, though still persecuted. From 1770 to 1776, at least 45 Baptist pastors were in jail for preaching the gospel in Virginia alone. And, but they began through the mind and pen of John Elder and Reuben Ford to petition Virginia legislature. Legislator. One of the petitions was so large it had to be delivered in a wheelbarrow. It had so many signatures. And this began to change the minds and the heart of America, just as Franklin said it would. This eventually culminated in John Leland, of course, securing from James Madison a promise to introduce a Bill of Rights, securing religious liberty. You see, the Baptists understood liberty and its source. It comes from God himself. And so when Thomas Jefferson wrote that 
Declaration of Independence by there were others who contributed to it, but but he was the pen to put it. You know, these are the sources he had uh, uh, for, uh, for his writings and the foundation for it. So, so this is the this is the foundation for our nation, unlike any other. You know, the, um, but we notice a second thing here. You know, and, and we have become a great nation, and God has blessed us because of this. But, but I want to drop down to 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 uh, the last half of that verse. Righteousness exalteth a nation. So this is why we have been blessed of God for many years. But sin is a reproach to any people. Of course, sin is defined in 1 John 3, 4 as a transgression of the law. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses all the law, for the sin, for sin is the transgression of the law. And the Bible says that sin is a reproach to any people. I remember when Bill Clinton was elected president. We were in Canada, in uh, New Brunswick. And people and the world began telling jokes about the American president. And the people in Canada said, never before. Have we ever made jokes about an American president? You know, the Clinton sin was open. I mean, we had, we had some wicked presidents prior, but Clinton's sin was open. But I want you to consider some things concerning America. In America, September 2017 market watch, Americans spent, $100 billion on sports in the last 12 months. $100 billion. According to survey, $56 billion was on attending sports events, $33 billion sports equipment, $19 billion gym memberships. You know, and our, our sports have become, you know, just taking knee at the flag, at the national anthem, and, you know, a, politi- a, a political act- activist um, group, um, and a lot of other things I could say about it. Anyway, according to 2019 current population survey of annual social and economic supplement, there are 543,000 543, same-sex married couples in America, 469,000 same-sex unmarried couples living together. Uh, in America, $13 billion a year spent on pornography. Add to all that the murder of the unborn since... 1973, the National Right to Life Committee, the nation's oldest pro-life organization, estimates 63 million abortions have taken place since 1973. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for what the Supreme Court did, has done in the last few weeks. However, reality is we've become a nation of murderers. We have a nation of violence. And God hates violence. Psalm 11 says, God hateth violence. 2021, there are 800 murders in Chicago, only half of which have been solved. There been 312 so far this year. And, of course, you know, you go to New York, you go to Philadelphia, and they're every day. 
there it's starting to happen here, right here quite often as, too, as well. Uh, I watched this TikTok thing somebody sent me. It's put out by Defender of the Republic, it's called. And this is in modern America. And I'll quote, If a guy pretends to be a woman, you are expected to pretend with him. Russians interfering with elections is bad, but illegals voting is good. It was cool for Joe Biden to blackmail the president of Ukraine, but an impeachable offense for Donald Trump to inquire about it. 20 is too young to drink, but 18 is old enough to vote. People who never owned slaves should pose slavery reparations to people who have never been slaves. And people that have never been to college should pay the debts of college students who took out huge loans to get a college degree. Immigrants with tuberculosis and polio are welcome, but you better be able to prove your dog's vaccination. Irish doctors and German engineers who want to immigrate to the U.S. must go through a vigorous vetting process, but any illiterate bank gangbanger who jumps the southern fence is welcome. $5 billion for border security is too expensive, but $1.5 trillion for health care is not. And if you cheat to get into college, you go to prison. But if you cheat to get into the country, you can go to college for free. And people who say there's no such thing as gender are demanding a female president. We can see other countries going socialist and collapsing, yet it seems like a great plan to us. Criminals are being released to hurt more people, but stopping them is bad because it violates their rights. And killing, killing murderers is wrong, but killing unborn babies is okay. And pointing out this hypocrisy makes one a racist, unquote. That's America. Some of you may remember Pastor Joe Wright's prayer before the Kansas legislature back in 1996. Now, this may be this before some of you were even born, but some of you may remember it. And, and it goes like, where is it? I have it here somewhere. So I want to read it to you. Here it is. Pastor Joe Wright's prayer. Thus prayed, and this is in the Voice in the Wilderness, July 1996. Um, I think it was the Voice in the Wilderness. Anyway, um, it says, he prayed this. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to them that call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word in the name of moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it taxes. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it the freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and show us any wicked in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule, and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
And no sooner had he concluded his prayer than three Democrats on the state legislature were on their feet at their microphones protesting, quote, he can't talk like that about us, unquote. Representative Delbert Gross, fitting name, considered the invocation gross, calling it divisive, sanctimonious, and overbearing, unquote. Representative David Haley called it blasphemous and ignorant. And Sabrina Standafar echoed the indignation. And there was an outcry. I remember it. You know, woke censoring people didn't start in the colleges. It started in the House of Congress. I remember I was at a rat, one of the rallies, and Pastor um, that, that's the head of the Return America. I remember his name in a minute. Anyway, he was talking about he was asked to give invocation at the uh, Joint Assembly in North Carolina, but he had to submit a written what he was going to say, and it was rejected because he prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It had to be inclusive. That's censorship. That's censorship. See, they're afraid of being offended. You know, people today think they have the right not to be offended, but yet they can offend us. So censoring became a thing in houses of Congress before it became a thing in corporations. And I believe it started in churches before it started in houses of Congress. When many Baptists joined the fundamentalist movement, they had to guard what they preached. And of course, in many churches today, I was talking to somebody some years ago, and there was some question come up, and I said, well, you know, this is what I say, and he and this person said, I couldn't say that in my church. It was scriptural. We couldn't say it. Because we wouldn't have a church. Then shut the door. You see, we have become a nation where many have a complete hatred and disregard for God. Many others who say they believe in God but live as though they have no interests, like it was in Habakkuk, where it says, you know, where he said that they 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 didn't have any regard for him, that God won't answer us yes or no. In other words, they say that God doesn't have any regard for us. He doesn't have any interest in us. And they have no regard for God, or though they will be accountable to Him. Still, others who profess to know Him attend religious services, yet the scriptures are considered are not considered authoritative in their life. Just has some good ideas. There's a lot of people like that. It is a slim minority that take the Bible as literal and authoritative for life. Slim. See, religion has become, as Brother Oil said in Sunday school class, something to be used to soothe your conscience of people. You know, if you're like Nancy Pelosi, and because of her stand on abortion, her Archbishop will not give her communion. So what do you do about that? Well, you and your drunk driving husband, you go to the Vatican, and the liberal pope will there 
there give you communion? I'm sure, this is my opinion, there was a price to pay too. There always is in the Catholic Church. You can get anything for money. That's why Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the wall because Titzel was running around selling indulgences and absolving people's sins, supposedly. At least that's the way he said. They could do. In America, according to a revival outside the walls, 67% of churchgoers believe that everyone will go to heaven. That's almost 70%. 93%, get this, this, this astounds me. 93% of practicing Christians are not comfortable to have a conversation about the Lord with their own grandchildren. If you're not comfortable having a conversation with the Lord about your, with your grandchildren, you won't have a conversation with the Lord about anyone. 77% of all Americans believe salvation is the result of good works. Almost 80%. You go out there and, you, and you, you've, you've done this. You, know, you witness to people and you talk to them and ask about that. Well, I was baptized. Well, that, that's good work. It tells you what they're trusting in. You know, this is the American we live in. It is a nation in decline. A nation in decline. You know, our nation is in decline politically, economically, and morally. And all, all of that is the result of the spiritual corruptness that is rampant in American churches. Much of what is preached across the airwaves today in America is a prosperity gospel, a false gospel. It's corrupt. You know, my heart is heavy for America because I understand a little bit about God. God is a God of justice and God is a God of holiness. And he will not overlook sin. What I believe it was Thomas Jefferson said that he trembled when he considered that God's justice will not sleep forever. Now, you know, what, is, what is, it, is your belief about God? Are you in decline? Will you, or will you be part of the faithful when the Lord comes. You know, we still have a job to do. I haven't given up. I believe America is a sinking ship. But as long as we're here, we have a responsibility, a job to do. And this afternoon, I'm going to submit to you what our responsibility is. I don't believe we're going to save America. I don't see it in Scripture. To fulfill prophecy, I think it's going to have to be go in decline, which it is. But we still have a responsibility as Christians and as Americans.
But, you know, the question is, you know, are we going to be like our nation? Or are we going to be different? Are we going to be like the world? Are we going to follow God? Are we going to be in decline? Or are we going to be part of the faithful when the Lord comes? You don't have a choice to make. We can look around the world and we can get discouraged and just quit. That's what many did when the COVID hit. They quit. Some churches are in trouble because people just quit. They quit on God. At God's program. No. You know, the Lord asked the question, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He's looking for people who will be faithful despite what happens in the world. Your nations come and nations go. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. And God expects us to be faithful to that word. We are a nation in decline. But that doesn't mean we have to decline.